Welcome to a special edition of the Red-Headed Preacher. This is a recording of the scriptures and homily. Really, it's a, well, it's, I guess it's a homily in terms of length of our Ash Wednesday service at 7 p.m. on February 22nd in the St. Peter's Sanctuary. I will be the lector because we don't have one specially appointed for Ash Wednesday. So you'll get to hear me read scripture and uh, then the message. And it's kind of about the Ash Wednesday message and uh, stripping away our delusions of, of righteousness and coming for God who is waiting for us with grace. And so, without uh, meandering on verbally any further, the next voice you hear will be mine. <laughs> Starting the scriptures from Joel and then 2 Corinthians. The first of our two scriptures is from the book of the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and 10 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, and war will be again after them in ages to come. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice at the head of this army. How vast is the host! Numberless are those who obey God's command. Truly the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure it? Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether God will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, Where is your God? That concludes the reading from Joel. Our second and final reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, the second half of verse 20, through the 10th verse, 10th verse of chapter 6. So Paul says, We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he knew him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
as we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, beatings, calamities, hardships, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true. We are treated as unknown, and yet are well known. We are treated as dying, and behold, we are alive. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Here runs the readings from our scriptures for tonight's service. In my last year of seminary, I was one of the deans of our dormitory floor, the fourth floor of Alexander Hall, a.k.a. Fourth Alex. When it was time for a hall meeting, one of the deans, like I was a co-dean in my last year, would blow what we called the shofar. It was a multicolored, but mostly gray and black and brown, dull white piece of probably fiberglass curve-shaped and open, as if it were indeed carved out of a massive animal's horn. I think I thought it was real at the time. There was surely a place to blow into it. You could, there was a pretty obvious, and a place where it would curl through and, and blow out with kind of a raspy blast when it came out, and thereby call said meeting. A shofar had a special place for Fourth Alex, but a much, much more special and powerful place in the life of Israel. The prophet Joel meant the shofar when he said, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom. The trumpet was the shofar, or the shofar was the trumpet, a ram's horn blown by the priests, in this case to warn the people in Jerusalem, or Zion, of an imminent danger of attack. Now lots of commentators, and this is what I was taught back then, that the attack was as by a mass of locusts. Verse 3, which we didn't hear, tells us, describing the foe, 
fire devours in front of them, and a flame behind them burns. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden, but after them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Others, instead, see it as a composite of all the times Israel had been attacked, subjugated, and minimized on the world stage, long past the zenith of the reigns of David and Solomon. Another verse, not in the lectionary for today, verse 11, actually I did read it, perhaps by accident, it refers to this as the day of the Lord. Truly the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed, who can endure it? In any case, Joel puts this coming hardship under the heading of the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, a lot of the people who heard this would probably go, what? Perhaps the shofar call is telling Israel, and by extension to those who believe and follow God, to look our expectations in the mirror and see something's not right. And this is why. Because the day of the Lord, in popular thinking, was not supposed to be a day of an attack or of God's judgment on people. Oh no. It was popularly understood as a time of redemption, of being freed from being under the heel or the thumb of these other countries, and to be free and to be blessed by God. That was believed to be what the day of the Lord was for, but that was the mistake. That was the expectations in their mirror they needed to take another look at. The majority of the prophetic utterances about the day of the Lord were not like what they thought it was about. It was a time of judgment. It was a time of destruction for sinful Israel. Joel himself said that the day of the Lord is coming and it's terrible. Who can endure it? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Indeed. Amos also uses the term not for the popular understanding, but in that majority of prophetic usage. Amos 5, verse 18. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. Why do you want it? It is as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear. A couple of verses later, Amos said, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? The shofar is to be blown now, Joel says, to call Israel to judgment, not to redemption after long suffering. There was a covenant between God and Israel, and Israel had nullified the covenant by looking for a redemptive day of God while refusing to abandon the sins for which Israel's sufferings were seen to be the punishment. In other words, they were doing their own thing and ignoring God's laws, but thinking they're okay. And, and look, the, the shofar is playing, it must be time for the good times to roll in. No, the prophetic logic, such behavior for Israel like that was not simply morally wrong, it was nonsensical. Shofar was a warning for them to get together, hear the truth, and give them an opportunity to change. Many years ago, 
Beth and I attended a week-long United Church of Christ national gathering. I think the first one was in Bloomington, Indiana, at Indiana University's campus, and it was called Faith Works. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann was there, and he was going over a text where Israel was unaware of its coming judgment because it had no idea it was nearing the end of God's long fuse of patience with them. He imagined a chorus of Jewish children at Sabbath school singing something like, Jerusalem forever, 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 in celebration of Israel's capital and status as God's chosen people, even as the day of the Lord was being prophesied. And then, like Brueggemann does, he slicingly pointed out that with our, well then 1990, countries ignoring how we have gone against God's calls for justice and compassion, we, like Jerusalem, have choirs singing about the greatness of our land even as God may be waxing hot. It was a call to awareness of our sin, too and not glossing it over as Israel had in Scripture. And Ash Wednesday is all about that. It is a call to be aware of our need for God's mercy and to receive it by turning around inside. Turning around, you know, the repentance that bears fruit to show its real repentance. John the Baptist, that's his core message. God expects us and calls us to really respond to God's love for real. No one likes to admit they have disappointed Jesus. I still say that one of the saddest verses in the New Testament is when Simon denied knowing Jesus the third time, and as Luke twenty-two sixty-one records, immediately, quote, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. No one likes to admit to his, her, their ecclesiastical or national cooperation with injustice or unrighteousness, often through the complicity of inaction and silence. I don't. No one likes to admit to holding money back from a needy emergency fund out of fear of not having enough for something else. No one likes to have their rose-colored glasses about this person or that part of history, or that group or group of people, broken by falling onto the rocks of truth, even God's truth. That's one reason, maybe, why Ash Wednesday services don't, you know, call us to have chairs in the aisles. They're not bursting with attendees. No one wants to believe. That God, no one wants to talk about death, let alone spiritual death. Nobody wants to believe God takes issue with us like God does with any who neglect the loving Savior who died and rose again for us, or much worse than that. Please, let us hold on to some of our delusions, including that of our own righteousness. But Peter turned and wept. He could have given up hope and gone the way of Judas Iscariot, but he did not. Thick as Peter could sometimes be, Peter knew Jesus better than Judas and kept some measure of hope 
As he looked his expectations in his mirror, he realized he wasn't the man he thought he was. He realized his fall, which stung him deeper than we can imagine, but he also still found an expectation of life. And maybe Peter knew the rest of Joel's prophecy, too. He went on, as you and I heard, yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishment. Now, the Hebrew word for repent is shuv, and it means to return. Come on back. Repentance is to realize that we're fooling ourselves, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all need to do all we need to do is to return our lives to the love and care of the God we know in Jesus Christ. Trust the love of God who knows us better than we know ourselves. Trust the cross of Christ to avail even for us. Let us approach it with no pride, for it is all a gift. But let us always return and be fed by the body of Christ. Not only the sacrament, but also the community, which encourages you and me, the body of Christ on earth. Amen. Thank you for beginning the season of Lent with us at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie and, um, and for starting it with, uh, with a message from uh, your red-headed preacher. It was uh, kind of a spur-of-the-moment thought to record this service, and uh, I did not think it was going to be live-streamed on YouTube. It turned out that it was, but I still went ahead with the podcast all the same because this is just an entirely different medium. And so, again, I thank you for tuning in and for listening. And as I always end, uh, I ask and pray that God bless you and God bless your week. Blessings on your Lenten journey. Bye. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.